podcast online. <laughs> Hi there. Hi. What did we just do? Oh, well, like every Sunday night, we watch Star Trek. Hey, hang on, hang on. Wait, wait. We're getting a black alert. Oh. Did you pour some water? What does that mean? Did you pour some water? I'm real sweaty. I can't tell you what it means. There are no answers here. There are only questions. Did you pour water? No. We're good as dead already. Why didn't you pour the water? Because I'm allergic to polyester. Oh, the black alert's just a false alarm. We're okay. Oh, goodness. Don't you dare ask questions. <laughs> Lord. Oh, my spores. <laughs> we just watched episode three. Context is for kings. Star Trek Discovery. Yeah. What did you think? Uh, I enjoyed it. It was really interesting. Um, listeners of the shows will know that I have really only watched a little of the original series, mm-hmm. a lot of TNG, mm-hmm. and two episodes of Deep Space Nine. Yes. So, I have never met a villainous captain before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do they exist outside of Discovery? Yeah. Okay. Few and far between. Wait, do they exist as a main character? No. Okay, yeah. Although so. there is a captain who arguably, from the point of view of Starfleet and Federation, just makes a decision that they would consider are bad for the greater good a couple of times. Like, what would even be considered an act of bioterrorism at one point. <clears throat> like, really horrific. But, like, it's always in some context. Con- context is an important word for this one. Where it it was for some 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 good, and we're really in that guy's shoes when that happens in Star Trek before, and, and believe it. Okay. Um. So here's a here's a problem I had with the with the uh, show so far. Yes. So Michael Burnham, main character for yes. the show. Um, she suddenly grew this like ethical war conscience. I don't know what it is. Like she was a okay uh, putting a bomb inside of a corpse. <laughs> To yeah. win before, yeah. but now she's like, "You want to use me as a weapon? You think so? In your war? No, no way. I'm above it. I don't know. It okay. just that. It's not that I felt like it was bad. I was just kind of like, really? Okay. Right now? Gotcha. Yeah, I've heard some similar criticism of her as a character. I so far believe her choices and mm-hmm. her actions and her, and her as a character, and I'm, I'm I'm curious to see more. But it's interesting. I wonder if this believability that I bought into and continue to buy into will. Mm-hmm. Will 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 last. Um, Have you ever been critical of a series of Star Trek? Yes. Yeah. There are some episodes of Star Trek Voyager that, like, it, it's if you watch all six hundred plus episodes of Star Trek, there are some that are less canonical than others. To put it mildly, mm-hmm. it's so long and so much that in order to have a clear idea of the show, you you at some level are, are going with a headcanon, and, and there are things that rise and fall. For example, the, the animated series. For the longest time, Gene Roddenberry was kind of embarrassed by its production value and it, and it was sort of uncanonical, but in this show Star Trek Discovery and in the new movies it's had a huge resurgence where people go out of their way to sort of canonize what was in it so so things kind of rise and fall and it's all a little nebulous at the edges uh, but there are parts of Voyager that are not just uncanonical to me that are anti-canon to me like I think are anathema to, to Star Trek's image of, of and uh, ideals of of science and of open-mindedness and stuff like that and are episodes that I actively despise and they're like blacklisted from my canon don't exist at all Interesting. Um, so, <coughs> I am of the opinion that Sarek is the person behind Michael being on a ship. On this ship? Yes, on Discovery. Okay. Um, the reason I think that is because I don't think that her reputation alone would have made her um, 
just, you know, uh, the only one in, in the entire galaxy or whatever. That, that he would see. Yeah. Uh, can I propose to you a counterpoint of view? Okay. So, the, what we know of the captain, a little mm-hmm. bit, very little, but we, we do know is he's a collector, a grand collector of things. Oh, that's very true. And one of his collections is of the Shinsho, of, of the ship. Like, he has an active collection, a museum of that ship, because that ship is a fascinating focal point to him. He's collected the first officer. He's collected the helmsman. Mm-hmm. He's continues to collect artifacts from that ship, and he is really fascinated, sincerely fascinated. I don't think it's an affect, with what that represents in the history of Starfleet, that ship and it, that ship's actions. And she is another item of that museum, because he's someone who builds museums. That's very interesting. Yeah, I had not even thought about that. But, yeah, I certainly think that that could be a... Uh... <clears throat> Uh, a narrative that I'm willing to explore. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I enjoyed the episode a lot. It was uh, a little creepy. It was nice it's and very scary. Creepy. Yeah. Um, but it was just the right amount of, of spook. It was good. Yeah. I liked it. I thought it was very fun. We've been watching the episodes, an episode head of the kids, and so they just watched episode two tonight, and so probably next week they'll watch episode three. Yes. And so that kind of primes us to watch the next episode. Right, you know? yeah. We watch the, the last one to kind of jump us into the yeah. after. Uh, but we do that just in case there is anything spooky or something maybe we don't want them to see or whatever. This one's you know? very scary. It's a little spooky. But, but <laughs> in the context of Star Trek, is a good time to have a spooks. Because oh, it's yeah. always serving some greater purpose and some grand ideals uh, eventually. So. Yeah. So Eden will fall asleep 100% yeah. of the time. So she's two for two, falling asleep at about the 20-minute mark. Yeah. So, <laughs> but yeah, it was really, it's a it's a good time. And Noah really enjoyed the second episode, had a lot of questions about it. Yeah. Um, a lot of really interesting questions. For sure. Especially about um, phaser technology. Like, do you have to charge it like you do a phone? Or does it just have, like, infinite life? Because... Uh-huh. It's very plausible to him that, you know, oh, well, in the future, nothing needs to be recharged. Yeah. You know? I thought that was super cute. But um, so he had a bunch of little questions like that. Today. Yeah. He also had a lot of visual fidelity questions with it. And I never yes. realized how much of Trek is so great for younger audiences in that you can have a military drama and that's that. But like a younger audience will have a hard time following it. And they might not otherwise. It's just tough where everyone kind of looks and sounds the same. Yeah. Like compared to other TV show. But Star Trek can have that same military drama and it can just be as cerebral maybe more so but then people are loudly wearing different colored things and you can kind of understand patterns and say I understand relationships a little bit better as a younger audience member mm-hmm. watching it where not every uniform looks the same and I maybe miss the context clues so he's a little bit of trouble discerning the uniforms and that's uncomfortable to him because he's so used to being able to have a good sense of what's happening and, and that's yeah. a little at lost I think it'll happen with time but for sure it, it's been interesting I, and it, that's something I never thought about but it's something that, that makes sense that would make Trek very accessible to younger audiences mm-hmm. Everyone's color-coded with their uniform, and you know, so now they are not. Do you know why, in the original series, everyone wears such brightly different color uniforms? There's, yeah. there's a reason, a television reason. Yeah, I told you this. Didn't I tell you this? I don't know what you told me. Well, someone told me once uh-huh. that um, the reason is because um, color TV was like so new, and everyone was just like trying to make a flashy statement. Yes, that's exactly yeah. right. So it was a, a show-off of color television yeah. and a reason to kind of get a color tv for star trek mm-hmm. star trek would be this cut again cool sexy looking program yeah i feel like once we get to like smell a vision <laughs> <laughs> like i wonder what what show you'll buy the uh, smell a vision for mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. It'll probably be a cooking show. So my main theory about the the ship and the captain is one that I, I understand you have got a little bit less exposure to to track. But we've explained it more in Highly Logical than in track. And that's that you know that there's the shadowy concept called 31. Yes. Uh-huh. I believe that this captain is a 31 operative. I believe that at least the captain and his chief of security oh. are, are, um, are uh, uh, and him specifically. And when he talks about his divining process, how he sees potential people and grooms them, and one of the things he grooms people for is that you serve a grander purpose beyond the rules that these kind of squares have. Mm-hmm. You want, that kind of ideal seemed very 31 to me. Now... His grooming was so similar to your grooming in the show, Highly Logical, where someone was not interested in explaining their motivations, who they were, or anything like that, but was just interested in understanding, picking at, and kind of cultivating in you an idea to see past the rules to, to, to serve something, some yeah. idea. Have you encountered 31 in the game Star Trek timelines that you're playing? Um, no, I've done a couple of missions for it, but, but just like... And again, there's no story behind. They're the least interested in kind of explaining themselves to Mm -hmm. to someone else. Star Trek is very interested. Klingons are very interested in telling a story. Everyone tells a story. Thirty one doesn't want the story out there as much. So thirty one is ancient. To give a little track background for people, it's as old as the founding of the Federation. And in the original charter for Starfleet, and Starfleet predates the Federation, kind of like how the U.S. Army predates America. It's kind of the same idea. Is that Starfleet? It briefly predates the Federation. But in one of the founding charters of Starfleet, there's Section 31. And Section 31 is a very unexplained, vague statement that sort of says, like, in the defense of these Starfleets and the, and the mission of, uh, grand mission that it serves, sometimes officers must make extraordinary measures. And make, uh, something like that. So it's a vague statement about how recognizing that in the service of the greater mission, sometimes certain individuals must be called upon to make certain sacrifices. Mm-hmm. Is sort mm-hmm. of what it says. And people have, there's never been any official clarification from Starfleet or them invoking 31 officially. It's always invoked unofficially. But people who call, consider themselves 31 are people who believe that they are called upon to break the rules by winking and nudges and dog whistles and li- lines between the words to do something against Starfleet law to serve some greater purpose of security. Yeah. Um, okay, that's in- that's an interesting point of view. <coughs> um, I'm sure that with the launch of a new series that they're all about bringing to the forefront some of these uh, new crazy and wild conspiracy theories that you yeah. trekkie- that you Trekkies have. JK, that was a joke. <laughs> um, okay, so here's a here's a character that I loved. Uh-huh. I loved Cadet Tilly. Cadet Tilly's fun. A lot. She's so great. She was so good and was just the right amount of, um, I guess, like, comedic relief that I needed for an episode this heavy. Very heavy. Yes. All the time. I mean, like, what's so crazy, um, what's the guy from Firefly? Yes. Um, I've got some of the cast open up because there's, they they go through the names so fast it's tough to kind of stay on them. Anthony Rapp is the name of the actor. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Oh, excuse, uh, excuse the mouse clips. I'm not going to edit them out because we want this to go up tonight. So I know that you're you're having some audio things we wouldn't want to have. His name is his name in the show is Lieutenant Paul Statements or, or Stamets. 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 I liked Lieutenant Paul Stamets. I did too. At first, I thought he was a little bit um, a little bit rude. Uh huh. Um. Actually, no. He just was very rude. He's very rude. He was not nice. 
Um, but are you supposed to be nice to the first mutineer that you believe caused a war that killed 8,126 people? Uh-huh. Probably not. You're pro- it's probably cool to be like, you know, you are not nice and I don't like you either. Uh, but he was very rude and I didn't like him. But as we got into the away ship and for them to go and do their little mission aboard the, uh, the USS Glenn or mm-hmm. something. Was that right? Yes. USS Glenn. So, um, yeah, it was really interesting how his uh, his work has been confiscated or, as you would say, collected. Uh-huh. It was really interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I really had a lot of uh, compassion for him at the end of the episode that yeah. I did not have before. That was that, that, that sucked. Yeah. He, he, his was a life interrupted mm-hmm. and a life with great purpose that sort of interrupted it's a very Einstein uh, yeah it's, that's a great parallel yeah absolutely like an Albert Einstein type so it was really interesting uh, so I also really like Lieutenant Saru a lot he's great or I guess he's not Lieutenant Saru commander. anymore he's uh, yeah Commander Saru now um, I liked him from his first line in the series, and I have grown to like him even more mm-hmm. right now. Um, I really felt like um, all of his lines are really compelling, and I feel like um, even though he has this, uh, this huge amount of uh, makeup and prosthetics on, I feel like he probably emotes more than just about any other uh, character that we see. Certainly more than Michael at times. Oh, yeah, for sure. Michael's Mm -hmm. such a stoic POV character for us. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's a consummate professional. Um, He he cares a lot about the story of other things. He cares a lot about what might seem at first blush, his sort of pacifism might, you think, put him at ends with his sense of duty. It doesn't. Mm -hmm. It informs his sense of duty in a way that's really interesting. And Star Trek has had a a long tradition of sort of pacifist characters where when the rubber meets the road are sort of kind of called... To, to rise to the duty that they've agreed to have, even at some great sacrifice. And sometimes it's a very sad sacrifice that an otherwise pacifist character is called on to be violent. Spock is sometimes portrayed in that way. And he sort of continues that, where he can be the soldier, explorer, whatever his service needs him to be. But you still have this... His life is one of statements and of principles. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I was ex- I'm excited to see him more... Uh, as we go along in the series. After the second episode, I was a little concerned that maybe we wouldn't get to see him anymore. And then it would kind of mostly just be the tale of Michael going through her her journey and uh, hopefully redemption. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I was really excited to see him again. Uh, I, I'm so sorry that I'm forgetting her name because I've, I've enjoyed her, even though we don't give her a screenshot, screen time with her. But the pilot, I was, I was, I like to see again the the pilot. the pilot from the original ship who's back, but now she's got this crazy thing across her face. I know it's not Katie, but it starts with a K. Kayla, Kayla. Kayla? Yeah, I, I like I like that Kayla's back. That was sad. Yeah. So sometimes it's it's a little bittersweet to see some of the discovery or the the uh, original ship crew. The, the Shinzo um, um, crew on Discovery a little bit too because it's just so painful for Michael and we're so in Michael's shoes. Yeah. And that one was tough because to, to have that kind of, not reunion, but her look and then look away. But I, I like that she continues to be a pilot. Mm-hmm. No. Well, and I think you also have to think too that it's so interesting watching these stories kind of pass by where these people might have upset feelings of like, oh man, now I'm, 
now I'm augmented or whatever, but yeah. you know, but like, come on in 2017, if you're listening to this a hundred years from now, um, get over yourself. Your problems are not that bad. Uh, at least you can be augmented. Right. Well, I don't think the great <laughs> tragedy was seeing her with the, Yeah, um, for sure. It, it was her. I'm not arguing yeah. with you on that. It was her I just, just unwilling to, in the pain for, for her. And yeah. Michael. I just think it's very silly to um, sensationalize, oh man, they, this person now has this cool ass thing on their face that they didn't have before when, you know, at least you're alive. Yeah. Like, damn. Yeah. You're alive. I'm, you're okay. I'm, I'm just sad about her and Michael. Yeah, for uh, sure. Did, did, so our captain, Gabriel um, Lorca, what did you think of him? Oh, I liked him a lot. He's good. I thought he was really good. I like the actor a lot. Yeah. Um. So when I saw him in the preview last week, I was like, ooh. I like excited. how he lets people talk and is curious to see what they have to say, even if it's like, he could stop you right at the beginning and the conversation could kind of go somewhere else. Mm-hmm. But I like that he's very interested to see things. And I also like how he's such a goddamn collector. Like, he's he's building a museum. Yeah, <laughs> the ship, for sure. Which is really interesting. He collects... Um, I think that his background... I, I don't know this, but I'm making a stab. Is xenoanthropology or something like that. Mm-hmm. Or xenobiology. Because he's got, like, a tribble. He's got what looks like a gorn skeleton. He's very interested in collecting some sort of beast that's on the other ship and he just kind of collects these sort of creatures he also collects uh, artifacts from the past he collects people from ships he thinks it's interesting and he's really interested in seeing the galaxy and experiencing it beyond how other people think so and do you think that he lets people uh, ramble and like monologue at him because he wants to know um when they have figured him out you know what i mean like that if i were if i were that type of person or that character that's probably what i would do is just be like yeah let me test myself and my own skills and my own deception by hearing you out you know sure yeah i think that he's it sees you as a specimen in his museum yeah. a potential one and so he wants to see you in your natural habitat mm-hmm. before he plucks you from that habitat and places you where he wants to place you Interesting. And uh, his security <laughs> officer, what is it, Landry? Landry. Landry. They're boning, right? I absolutely believe I they are. I kind of don't believe that they are. I oh, think that Landry man. wants to be boning when she says anything, anytime, Captain. Like, well, that could just be a professional relationship. It could be a professional relationship, but it's in the context of them blowing up a Starfleet vessel. And, and like, it's in the context of them being kind of gray about the, the rules and, and, and the way they conduct their war mm-hmm, and her mm-hmm. just sort of sycophantically and glowingly saying anything any, anytime I don't know she seemed to be communicating that she's above any any he's the, the rule they believe in that she believes in him or the mission how, yeah but how did they even get that what I would just call as a toilet monster how did they get that toilet monster onto the the discovery? Well, I'd imagine Landry and the captain have a lot of collections of things, and some of them might be, um, once they left the ship, they weren't, weren't able to use the full use of the collections, like uh, nerve gases, all kinds of things to hurt or incapacitate it, and mm-hmm. then um, once mm-hmm. it couldn't resist transport. I, okay, I love, I, this is a, such a small thing, I love how powerful the force fields look. Don't you like yeah, that? Yeah, for sure. I think sure. that's really cool. I love that. I think that's, that's really it's neat. It's very good. Um, so it was Oh my gosh. So going back to probably the first 10 minutes of the episode, uh, super scary when the Klingon like comes out of the shadow and shushes you because he's hunting something 
and hunted or being hunted. Lo and behold, he gets done eaten in front of you. Yeah, that's real scary. It was. I have a a suspicion of what it was. Um, I can't remember what they're called. I want to say Martok or something like that. That no, that's a name. Oh no, I think it's a naked mole rat from Kim Possible. (laughs) (laughs) Da 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 da. Uh, There's this war or something there, there's these uh beasts that klingons have and they have them because, specifically because they can kill klingons so they keep them as pets but like pets to keep you sharp because this pet might eat you if you show weakness sort of a thing oh like why random americans keep tigers yeah yeah so like the crazy people who keep tigers they, yeah. they keep this sometimes There's idiots klingon captains are depicted as having one as a pet and that's that's a statement because this thing is going to lower your life expectancy by 10 years to keep it around mm-hmm. i think it was one of those that they brought over in their boarding party and when shit got weird it started eating the klingon crew and stuff because that's kind of what happens with these they're a risk they might kill your enemies and you but if your handler dies they, they might as well kill you too yeah so i think it was one of those klingon beasts now they look very different than what we've seen in the past but the klingons have a whole redesign so I think that he, this captain, our captain, kept one of those very aggressive Klingon pets, which is a fucking statement. <laughs> yeah, that's very crazy. I can't believe that. So I wonder who the captain was for the other ship. The, for the, the Glenn? The Glenn. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Interesting. Some poor soul had said. Boy, they were mega dead. They were just a little bit dead. They were mega dead. Dude, the one dude's face. Oh, my God. Oh my goodness, that was some nightmare fuel right So there. I know, I'm going to come in, I know that you like to avoid this, but I'm going to say it just because it's very relevant for the conversation, a little metadata. Mm-hmm. I know they'd very intended to have an openly um, gay character in this show, and I hope that, that w- this episode wasn't the end of that, and it was just a suggestion of the professional relationship, relationship that, that, that was also um, um, the love of the life, the two scientists together, because I really want there to be an open, full bloom, as just as much screen time and as much emotional attachment as there in any other ro- romance kind of relationship that's that's seen here to be to be same sex and, and Star Trek has kind of had a very extremely pansexual relationship the past of Jadzia she finds one of her past life's wives and she still has a lot of feelings for that person um and 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 absolutely all her heart and soul loves that person but that's decidedly non-gendered it's it's very pansexual because she loves the soul kind of rather than the the the, the, the person. Do you think that they made that decision though because of the the day and time that they made that episode? Yes and no. Um, I do think that that came that was helped them bring it to air in the way that they did was because of the the day and time and because it was kind of a little mellowed down because of, it was the mm-hmm. idea of yeah but you used to be married to that person when you were a dude but Jedzia is decidedly a non gendered person who mm-hmm. kind of perceives other people in the world around her in the same way uh, and so that makes it a very pansexual identity of of love in, in the way she sees herself and the way her partner or her former wife saw saw, saw that about her, her as well hmm. so i do think it was sincerely a pansexual character pursuing pansexual romance um and then of course there's there's the 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 gay relationship with uh with with sulu and, and his husband in the the recent star trek movie and they wanted to have a, a character and his husband in uh in lieutenant hawk in star trek first contact but every time they never quite say it or they just suggest it or just gets a moment of screenshot and one of the characters dies immediately in the exposition and yeah. I, I don't want any more gay people dying in exposition for the uh for the show to check so they boxes. can check a box yeah i really want a main character to just for everything else it means for a straight character just just be as they are and not mm-hmm. have any final destination shit happen to them so i hope this isn't the end of that if this was going to be the lgbt inclusionist that they're intending to do here that's that's a that's a very good point um <coughs> i wasn't thinking about that at all I, I guess i just i don't 
think I don't, in, in that. I don't think they were together. But I just, my hope isn't that that, that was all they were going to give us. Yeah. Um, I just don't, I don't know. I guess I just don't really think about that. I just think it's, yeah, whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. People get to have whatever relationships they want. Right. And Star Trek um, has made a, dis- I'm so sorry to be stepping on your toes. I'll just finish my thought real fast. Star Trek has always made it a, a, a decision not to put words on anything and I, I don't disapprove of that decision mm-hmm. so you're, we're probably never going to get the you get to hear the word gay and that's fine because like it isn't a, a weird word it's just everyone is just whatever they want to be and it's very intrinsically rather than extrinsically motivated and those labels the battles have sort of been won on earth for, for full inclusion legal status and dignity for, for all persons so they made a point with Jadzia to never use the word gay or, or lesbian uh, uh, for her being in love with her wife. Um, well, that's the thing. Like, kind of what I was getting at is that I just, you know, I don't think that we would use words like pansexual or anything with anyone in the future right. at all. Yeah. Um, you just are with who you are with. And, you know, wow, what a perfect world that's going to be. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I guess I would just be uncomfortable labeling that far in the future any type of yes, relationship. I agree. For sure. I agree. I just yeah. want screen time for what we would perceive to be LGBT sure. relationships. For sure. Um, I really hope that Lieutenant Saru, or uh, sorry, not Lieutenant Saru. Gosh. <laughs> sorry, he made not a sorry. really, he made, sorry, not sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, he made a really big point about everyone recognizing his new position. <laughs> yeah. First officer, sorry. First Saru. officer. Um, so I, I really hope that um, we get to see a love interest. Like that, it's one of the only times that I really liked, um, uh, oh my gosh, Deanna Troy having a relationship on, um, on the Enterprise was whenever she was with Worf, because I thought that was really nice. Yeah. So it's really nice whenever there are, um, you know, I guess like relationships. Absolutely. It's good. Yeah. I like it. We're certainly led to believe there's a lot of liaisoning. But when there's actually sustained relationships, that's yeah. that's something different. I was just wondering. I was just like, man, I hope someone smooches him on his on his weird looking face. Oh yeah, you because, want him to find love? Yeah, I really do because I honestly I just want to see the shot of it, like how they how they do that and make it look um, emotional and and things like that. I think it'd be really nice. That's awesome. Yeah. Did you like Michael? Um, do you like Michael's talking to herself? A. And B, did you like her talking to herself with Alice in Wonderland? Hmm. Um, I thought it was a little tropey when it was happening. Yeah. But I thought that later during the, you know, the uh, the meeting with uh, Tilly, it was great. Like having an understanding of why that would be a comfort to her, mm-hmm. um, kind of how that would refocus her would, was really great. Um yeah, it was really nice. I liked it. I love the character Amanda. I love every depiction we've ever had in every track of her. And I think she lives... It's not one thing to say the values of Starfleet and of openness and of loving other people that are different types of people. But I think Amanda lives that, where she oh, kind of sure. lives between worlds. And so I like that kind of the legacy of Amanda being such opening and so welcoming to people being considered family with her and everything mm-hmm. like that kind of just shines light again in, in, in this world. Because I think she is such a beacon of light in, oh, in for Star sure. Trek. 
Well, and she understands what it is to be an outsider, you know, yeah. in a Vulcan community, especially. You know? For sure. And she does such a good job at being family to you, regardless of your cultural identity. Mm-hmm. So she'll be family to you if you choose to be more more Vulcan or more human on that. And she's very equipped and, and able to to accept and, and love you, regardless of how you fall on that spectrum. I'm, I'm really confused on the timeline for Michael. I was under the impression that her home world had been attacked and Sarek... Um, and Sarah rescued her. But yeah. in this particular episode, um, it seems like she was at the, and specifically she was at the learning center uh-huh. um, on Vulcan when it was attacked. So I'm confused. Are there two separate attacks? or? Yeah, I was very confused about that too. We're not talking about this episode. We're talking about the one before we watched the kids. Um, where oh, she, that's right. But like I, that is something that confused me as well about her timeline. Mm-hmm. Because... We're led to believe that perhaps Sarah didn't know who she was until Sarah rescues her. Mm-hmm. But then there's a scene in the second episode where Sarah emotionally comes up to the child, the charred child of, of Michael, and is Sarah is yelling Michael at this corpse. Like that name means something to him. Mm-hmm. Sarah would doing his, be doing his damnedest to rescue anyone in any context. He's he, he, he's someone who who, who is a, absolutely would be a responder, but. That he's yelling Michael and Michael means something to him and he expects it to mean something to the kid means there's some relationship before yeah. us. So uh, that, yeah. that is strange. I was very confused. Still, I'm very confused. Um, another point of confusion for me is, like, I don't understand why Michael or really anyone else believes that she started a war. At all. I don't understand Yeah, that. it seems so obvious, especially from our, our, our journey of it, that regardless of which path they would have chosen there mm-hmm. that, that that it would and it's so obvious to Sarek I like how Sarek says it like Sarek puts the words to, to the listener there of like um, I, I expected this death and destruction to be raining down on Starfleet because that's what happens at first contact with the Klingons whatever you part you play in that first contact doesn't affect that Mm-mm. that was going to happen but I cannot abide his waste and waste of you specifically um, so yeah, regardless if they they have more of a Vulcan hello, which the Klingons might be able to respond to, or they don't, uh, it, it's obvious that it's going to happen. And the story kind of isn't about it isn't about them at all. It is is about like a fanatical zealot. Well, but the thing is, is that I don't understand. I don't understand what action she took externally to a Klingon, which would have evoked right. war. Is no. the thing I, I think it's stuff that sees her killing the. On accident, the Klingon warrior in self-defense in the spacesuit being precipitous of the and destabilizing to the situation. Mm. Okay. Um, and then, of course, her actions on the bridge just kind of confirm the suspicions that she's a loose cannon. She's mm-hmm. brash, and she's she's out to revenge kill people who who hurt her, which is very unstarfleet. And yeah, it's it's weird. I I'm not into that particular narrative, and I don't understand. Um, it just seems a very force-fed narrative uh-huh. and for everyone to think that is a little bit weird like the fact that everyone agrees that she's a mutineer and blah 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 like really well or- i think the idea is that <laughs> never which is unheard of in our time there's never been a mutineer in starfleet because things are so worked out sure no i'm not saying that i'm just saying like is there not one person that's like oh no i understand why or how that could have happened and why that w- you know what I mean? It's just yeah. so interesting that, like, in the future, is there no dissent? <laughs> is there no debate? Yeah. Which I don't, I don't like that. You know. Yeah. In six months, have the Vulcan or has Sarek not 
come to her defense or, you know, any number of things, which maybe we'll see that later. Yeah. But. And I certainly don't think that Sarah has made public statements. Yeah. Kind of about it would that. be It would be... Um, it wouldn't be diplomatic for him to do that because and there he, are 8,000 people that he, died. He strongly disbelieves in sentimentality. Mm-hmm. He is a, a true believer in love. And he, he loves Archie's family. I'm, I, and and, I, and I, I really believe that. But he does not believe in wasteful expressions of sentimentality to a fault, to a character fault that has hurt Spock and has hurt Michael. Uh, they, they both had very rough childhoods, I think, with that. Um, so he, he's not going to go out there out of out on his limb, talk about how much he loves Michael and how great she is as a person to camera, unless there's any purpose that would serve for Michael or for himself. Okay, so yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, I think that there's a, I think there is a, a strong purpose in in doing that. I think so too, but I don't think unless Sarek believes in some purpose for that, that he he would do it. Like he doesn't believe in her exoneration happening. Mm, okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Well, any other uh, questions, comments, or crippling fears? Did you like um, Landry? Landry, the, uh, the security, security chief. I felt like she was waste of time. She's a waste of time. No, not like a waste of time. Just she was not a blip on my radar. Yeah, she's so obviously an antagonist. Yeah. Like, oh wow, wait. There's a chief of security that has an attitude problem? What? <laughs> <laughs> I don't yeah. know. So, we'll see. Yeah, uh, that was interesting. Yeah. And, oh, there's an engineer scientist that is full of himself? What? <laughs> Boy, I kind of want to see more of Paul, though. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm really hooked on, on him as a character. Yeah, he is very good. Which I don't think that they would have had. I don't think they would have pulled him, the actor. Uh, and that's very meta. But I don't think they would have pulled that actor in on the third episode if they weren't going to keep him. He's a huge. He's a huge get. Yeah. Plus, we're really trying to understand the bridge crew of the ship now, and mm-hmm. that's something they haven't done before: is give us our, our bearings because we need to understand who who, who does what job mm-hmm. and what kind of roles are are being filled in the ship to understand the ship moving forward in a very trick way. Go on. I'm sorry. I, I, I was just saying, now that we're filling in those spaces, yeah. you probably wouldn't immediately kill them. One of the things that I thought was really great about the episode that I thought we were going to miss out on with Michael being um, convicted and stripped of her Starfleet rank is that in in The Next Generation specifically, you see the captain from the standpoint of not just learning how to be the best captain, but how to be a really fantastic mentor to his crew and or to her crew, whatever, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I, I keep using the male pronouns because I'm talking about TNG. But um, when in the first episode, um, uh, Captain, is it Georgia? Philippa, Philippa, Georgia, Georgia, Georgia. Yeah. Um, So whenever she was uh, talking with Michael about having her own ship and being promoted to captain, I was just like, "Oh, very cool. That's awesome." You know, and I don't read spoilers, so I didn't know anything about what was going to happen. But um, one of the things I really thought that we were going to miss out on was that watching the leader become a better leader. And I feel like they put Tilly in, uh, Cadet Tilly, into Michael's path to show growth in leadership. Yeah, for sure. And I thought that was a really great thing because 
uh, Tilly just kind of comes right out and says, I'm going to be a captain someday. Absolutely. And I thought that was really great because it's very evident that Burnham is never going to become a captain. She can't, right? I mean, like... Probably not. I don't don't see any path forward for her to do that because whether it's Section 31 or whether she redeems herself and does all this stuff, she will never be a captain because she cannot be trusted. She was a mutineer, you know? I think she might have a kind of a James Kirk path in relationship with Star Trek where she becomes the principal savior of of her ship and of of Star, Star Trek enough to sort of bend and create exceptions in her becoming a, a, a public uh, figure who's a, a part of a, a movement in an ideal that's kind of greater than themselves, and, and they choose to recommission her. And well, I really, I, I hope that that is true. Um, but I think that it's a really great opportunity for them to show. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and her being kind of a mentor, being a to, mentor the to the to the up and coming captain. But do I want to see a a Michael, a Captain Michael Burnham. Absolutely, I do. Yeah, I, yeah, I do too. Really I think so right. good. We kind of have a Daenerys Targaryen in her, in that we're told very explicitly, "I will never be Captain Hepperbrink again until the mm-hmm. sun rises in the east and sets in the west." <laughs> <laughs> right? It's true. We. This is a house of uh, Targaryen and Burnham sympathizers. She's <laughs> like, "Oh no, you'll get your day." <laughs> That's right, our one true queen is coming. Yes. <laughs> All right, everyone. Well, until our one true queen and captain <laughs> returns to us, hope that you live long and prosper. Yeah, and bend the knee. <laughs> Good night, everyone. See you later. Or if you're listening to this on your way to work, have a great day. Yes. Happy Monday. Yes. Bye! That was really close.